Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, where each week we discuss new ideas and tactics to help you succeed in business, relationships, and life. And now your host, Tim Stoddard. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddard. Welcome to the Tim Stodds Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Quick announcement before we get started on this week's conversation. Most of you know about my involvement with copyblogger.com. I am a partner at Copyblogger and Copyblogger is a website that's had a huge influence over me uh, on my career, in my development as an entrepreneur and a marketer. And over the last six months, we've been working so freaking hard to put together some training programs. Uh, what, what we're doing at Copyblogger is we're making a a real point to create interactive education for people that want to learn how to build a business, that want to learn how to create content and create a brand and and build an income that can sustain them in their lives and make them tons of money like we all want to do. And I'm very thrilled and I'm happy to announce that we have launched two of these training programs to the public. Uh, our programs are five-day workshops. We do them live on a live audience and we bring people through our own personal experiences with online business and the mistakes that we've made and the successes that we've had, I feel like it is one of the most groundbreaking developments in online education for entrepreneurship and for content marketing. Uh, I think that we're the first ones that are really doing this from an interactive standpoint. It's like a virtual classroom and we're bringing people through the entire lesson plan ourselves and answering questions live. So uh, if you're interested in learning more about getting firsthand resources, go to copyblogger.com slash education. Or if you go to copyblogger.com, there's a link at the very top that says training. Just hit that link. Uh, we got so much more cool stuff coming on Copyblogger. And if you, if you stay tuned, you'll be privy to all that information as we release it. All right. My guest this week is Mike King. Mike and I have been talking on LinkedIn for the last couple of weeks, we've been shooting the shit. He's an SEO nerd like I am. He is the CEO and the founder of iPollRank.com, which is an elite uh, SEO and online marketing agency. We have real similar methodologies with how we grow search rankings for our own websites and for our clients. And Mike was just a freaking cool guy. And, um, and we, we just had a lot in common <laughs> and we like a lot of the same music and we're into a lot of the same stuff. So it was a real pleasure to talk to him. I know you're going to learn so much from him. Please help me welcome Mike King. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Of course. We were uh, emailing briefly uh, before we decided to jump on and, and have the conversation and uh, what I said is that I always love talking to fellow SEOs. We're mm -hmm. kind of our own little club, sort of speak, uh, simply because the the foundation behind search marketing, in my view, is is a lot different than all the other forms of digital marketing. Simply because it's inbound, mm -hmm. um, and and so I, I want to definitely take some time to dig into some of the the details of it, like what's working for you and your agency right now mm -hmm. with online search, you know, what are some of the, uh, maybe the changes that we've seen in the industry. But before we even get there, mm -hmm. I like to start my shows with just learning a little bit about your journey. So like, please tell me how you got involved in design. I, I read that you started with web design. 
how you got involved with marketing and, and how it turned into a, a really great entrepreneurial career for you. Yeah, I think that's another really interesting thing about SEOs is that like the path to become an SEO sure. is so different for everybody. Uh, no one was like, yo, I want to be an SEO when I grow up. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's always fascinating to see how people got here. So yeah, to your point, you know, I did um, web development before that was like an, a real like job. You know, like my first, my first job was a high school internship at Microsoft where I like worked on their internal websites. And then also I built a, a couple external ones too. Um, but that just came from, you know, me being a bored kid and, and knowing how to code from 12 and, uh, you know, just reading all types of books. I remember I read a book called Making Cool Websites with HTML. And that's how I learned HTML. On MySpace? <laughs> nah, man, this is way before MySpace. I'm a, I'm a little older than that. Um, so this is like 95, right? And, you know, then I got the job at Microsoft and then I just like kept uh, getting, you know, little jobs like that and continuing to learn stuff. Uh, I went to school for computer science, you know, dropped out because I wanted to make music instead. And so I, that's what I was doing, like, full time, making music, touring and things like that. And then in 06, I got into a bike accident and didn't have health insurance because I was a rapper. Wow. And um, I had to get a job to pay my medical bills. And the first company to hire me was the SEO agency. And so I would keep my SEO jobs until my boss would piss me off and then I would go back on tour. And then eventually I started working at a, a multinational ad agency called Razorfish. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is cool. Like I, I like this. And, and you know, it's it just kind of like snowball from there where I started getting involved in um, thought leadership. Um, I moved from, from Philly to New York and, you know, just way more opportunity here and after working at a, a series of agencies, I was like, I'm pretty sure I can do a better job at this myself. Um, doesn't feel like that right now during the coronavirus, mm. but <laughs> otherwise it, it's been pretty true. And I've been really happy to, um, you know, put together a really awesome team of people that keep me motivated. I, I more feel like I work for them than they work for me. Yeah. And we're all just trying to, um, you know, do awesome stuff for our clients. There, there's a lot of places that I want to take this. Um, I'm really interested to learn about your hip hop career because I, I was looking at some of your projects and I, I'm, I'm, I'm a hip hop fan and I'm also from Philly. I didn't realize that you were from there. So I'm sure that we got a lot in common, but, uh, but before I, I dive into that, you mentioned something about building a great team around you. And I have found that to be true on almost every CEO that I've worked with, especially with SEOs, because you start as like a one man band and mm -hmm. you're doing the work, like you're deep into the work. And then eventually you figure out that uh, like, you don't even really do SEO anymore. <laughs> <laughs> manage people, um, mm -hmm. deal with clients, manage expectations. Uh, in, in my case, I don't want to speak for you, but it's been a lot of like taking a step back to see what the best route from, you know, like onboarding a client to helping them reach their goals is. And so I'm just curious if that's been the same experience for you. Are you still really deep into the work of SEO or do you find that, that running the team and running the company is where most of your time is, is going? It's definitely more running the team and the company now. <clears throat> and that was more of a, a big team. Ah, I mean, you know, it's, it's a good amount of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, it was really like a decision I made at the end of last year. I was like, I'm getting out of client work. 
because frankly, I don't want to do anybody's SEO site audits anymore. Like I've done a million of them and that part is boring for me at this point. Um, what is exciting for me is working with people and getting them up to speed, you know, and then seeing what they come up with that I didn't come up with, you know, like mm. I, I like that our team has begun to like dramatically improve our deliverables because every deliverable we have that isn't designed, like I made it right. Cause like you said, I was doing it first and, you know, after working at a series of agencies, there was a lot of things that I would continue to improve like every agency and then, you know, once I got here, I was like, all right, boom, I'm going to improve all this stuff. But it kind of stayed static for a while. And now my team is being like, all right, what's the best way to do this? How do we improve this? And it's really exciting to see where they take things. Um, but yeah, you know, for a long time, I always felt like, oh, I don't want to be a marketing speaker that doesn't actually do things. Yeah. You know, they can't really tell you stuff. And, you know, I do work on a couple of projects here and there, but just kind of like to keep me sharp and, and stay on top of things, mm -hmm. but I'm not touching every project like I used to. Do you get annoyed about the marketing circle where we have, you know, quote thought leaders who aren't necessarily skilled in the, let's call it the science of marketing. Is that something that like, it bothers me. I'll give you permission to talk about it. It definitely annoys me. <laughs> Um, I mean, I don't want to speak I, out too much, you know, I think that they have a place, you know, I think that there's like marketing motivational speakers mm. and, you know, you see them and especially if you are like more junior, you get really excited to do your work and come up with things. So there's value in that. It's just, that's not necessarily who I want to be. You know, I want to be somebody that anytime you come across something I've written or you see me speak you learn like one to two things that you're like, yo, I can use this and I can, you know, take this away and, and, and level up in my career. Um, you know, if, if, if I was a marketing speaker that just had like the one tactic that I mentioned every, with every story that I give you every time, um, yeah, I don't think I would be happy with my contribution. So it's more about like just my experience of it, not necessarily that it's necessarily like a bad thing because mm -hmm. there are definitely people who are like yeah i listen to gary v and now i want to get up and go to work that's dope do that and like if that's your thing do that it's just not who i want to be yeah i think i think gary v is usually the guy that that comes to mind with that um i used to read a whole lot of brian clark with copy blogger i'm i'm a part of copy blogger and mm -hmm. there's another guy named uh, ramit sethi who does mm -hmm. i will teach you to be rich and i just appreciated so much the difference in structure with the content and the educational material that they put out in terms mm -hmm. of they don't just give you guidelines they say like this is exactly how you do it and uh, mm -hmm. uh this is another conversation we we don't need to go down here unless you want to, because I know that you're a writer. But when I write material for any one of my sites, I really, really try to focus on like, how can somebody walk away from this learning how to implement something that they didn't know how to implement before, not necessarily be, you know, like running around with pom poms and, and <laughs> trying to hype themselves up, but like learning a new skill. Yeah. I mean, again, that's exactly how I approach it. But yeah. 
you know, I think that there are people that are not motivated in the same way that you or I am, where it's just like, intrinsically, I want to feel as though I've done the best possible thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, those people get a lot of value out of like watching a Gary Vee video every morning or whatever it is. So I'm not trying to knock that. I'm just saying it's not for me. Sure. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, okay, cool. I wanted to talk a little bit more about your journey to go on your own. I'm always fascinated with this idea of entrepreneurship as though if you don't just come right out of the gate in like middle school and like, you know, you're, you're not like running a lemonade stand when you were seven, like <laughs> I'm a full blown born entrepreneur, like you did something wrong. I think in like 97% of the cases, it makes a lot of sense to build experience, like work with other people, get a paycheck, learn the industry to the point where like you're armed with the knowledge to know what it takes to, to manage books, manage clients, deal with invoices, like read a PL, you know? So mm -hmm. um, keeping this one open-ended for you, talk about like the experience of all of the jobs that you had in your career and the decision to finally take that leap to say like, you know what, I can do this on my own and I'm going to go for it. Yeah. I mean, I think to some degree, I already had somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, you know, I think that if you are an independent rapper and you're trying to do it as a living, you are effectively an entrepreneur. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. You have to learn how to like book shows. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I always tell other uh, independent rappers that I know that are looking to do something else. And like the skill set that we develop doing that can be applied so well to, um, you know, any type of like business thing. Because again, that intrinsic motivation of like wanting to be great or wanting to achieve something is something that a lot of people don't have, but you definitely have it. If you are like, I don't want to get signed by a label. I'm going to do this thing myself and I'm going to figure out how to make it happen. Right. So I do agree that, you know, having some place to like show you the ropes and also having another organization that will like support what you're trying to do. You know, I definitely give props to the guys that I acquire because of the fact that they were like, we want you to come on and be our, our face. Yeah. And then they invested in that. And that definitely helped continue me uh, on the trajectory that I had started on my own, but I didn't have to pay for it. <laughs> and I had a, a business that was like pretty much behind all the things I wanted to do in most cases. And so, you know, there was a lot of value in watching that. There's a lot of value in me watching how, um, you know, the co-CEOs had ran the business. And, and it may not have necessarily been like, oh, that's what I need to do. A lot of it was like, that's what I don't need to do. Mm. But, you know, being able to learn on someone else's dime is incredibly valuable. So I think that even if you're not immediately an entrepreneur, there may be opportunities to be an entrepreneur wherever you do work. And then you can specifically learn whatever it is that you need to know in order to like hit the ground running with whatever you start. Um, you know, there's a lot of things I didn't know, like, like managing finances, doing books, things like that. Psh, I don't know anything about that. You know, like I wish that that, is some, that had been something I was more involved in in other organizations. Um, but it was like one of the only skill gaps I still had. And so once I started my own business, it's like, all right, boom, let's double down and learn everything we need to know about that in the way that I know, you know, everything I need to know about actually doing the work. 
And um, it's, it's just been easier because I had less gaps after working with a whole bunch of different people. And then also being that I already had like some entrepreneurial experience through music, um, there was just less to learn once I got to the point of running my own business. So I would definitely encourage people to, you know, use the opportunities where it's lower risk for them to learn whatever they need to know about running a business. So when, when was the moment when you went for it? Because inevitably there is like that leap of faith, right? Um, yeah. To run a company, you got to be all in. So what, mm-hmm. what was like that moment? Do you remember deciding? Yeah. When I was going to leave iAcquire, I had been talking about starting an agency. And, you know, ultimately I left and I, I basically like kind of stuck my toe in the water, see if I could get some clients. Mm-hmm. Things were happening pretty slow. So I got another job hated working there, was gone after four months. And I was like, you know what, this is the universe telling me something. (laughs) And, and I had, you know, a couple dollars in the bank and I was like, all right, well, if I fail at this, I can at least pay my rent for the next six months. And so I just went after it. And, you know, as soon as I like really bought into the idea, I had two clients just kind of come out of nowhere, right? like out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, well, suddenly, you know, I now have, what was it like? It was like 20K MRR. All right, cool. I'm now a business, right? And, you know, what I was doing was, like you said, basically doing the work myself and then also bringing in friends as like contractors for a while until that just became untenable and I needed to hire people because we were making, you know, too much in revenue to count on people who are just like kind of halfway available. And it, it basically just snowballed from there. Isn't that so funny how that happens, though? It always reminds me of, uh, I don't get too much into the woo-woo motivation stuff, but I do remember this quote by Will Smith about the power of, like, making a decision. Mm-hmm. How when you just, like, decide, like, this is where I'm at, somehow, call it whatever you want, whether it's God or law of attraction or, or just energy, you know, like, mm-hmm. you, things happen. The, the the best way I always heard put it, I don't know if it's Will Smith that said that, but uh, where focus goes, energy flows, you mm-hmm. know, and just like as soon as you make that decision, somehow the the universe like conspires to help you get what you want. And I think that that what you said there is just another example of it's one of those things where you don't have to say like, just believe me. I've talked mm-hmm. to enough people where it's just the same thing over and over again. Like when you just make some decision where you're like, you know what, if I fail, I fail, whatever, I'm going to go for it. Somehow mm-hmm. things just come, come your way. Yeah. Yeah. I got to work on manifesting that a bit more right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's just manifest the virus. To disappear. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Um, so one more little tidbit uh, about your journey before we start talking a little bit more about what you see going on in the state of, uh, of SEO, but I, I read on your work experience that you worked at Moz. Um, so I never worked at Moz. I've always been a Moz associate. Um, and I mean, always, uh, you know, since like, I don't oh, know, wow. I think, yeah, like 2011 or so. Yeah. And so what that means is just like, I, I blog for them. I'd answer the Q and a, um, I get feedback on the product and, you know, there've been instances where I've worked more closely with them, like for like market research projects or, marketing efforts or whatever, but I never physically worked there. Although, um, you know, Rand and I had had that conversation previously. And the only reason I didn't do it was because I didn't want to move to Seattle. 
So um, love the Moz team. You know, I love the things that they've been able to accomplish. Um, you know, I wish them nothing but success. For sure. I had Rand on, on the show. Um, this was about five weeks ago. It was the day before he launched. Um, Spark Toro. Yeah, Spark Toro. Thank you so much. It just slipped my mind for a second. I was like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> uh, I think Spark Toro is like a really, really cool tool from an SEO application. I was telling him that it makes outreach a whole lot easier because mm -hmm. you don't have to do as much research to figure out like who the hell am I trying to get in touch with. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I see the industry of what he's doing, audience insight, audience intelligence, probably being more applicable to like PR firms, mm -hmm. uh, like, you know, influencers or what influencers really are not just you know like half naked chicks on instagram but, uh, <laughs> it's it's a cool product um rand and like whiteboard friday and that whole team you know obviously the last couple of years things have changed for them with some of the other competitors but they were like really really groundbreaking and in my life especially like i would read all of it i'm sure if you were on their blog i've, I've read your work somewhere i read everything and all the videos mm -hmm. the, the whole shit yeah yeah, I mean, that was the thing, you know, Moz was, was so influential for my success. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a longer story, but basically my, my really good friend that I rapped with is Rand's cousin. Oh, and wow. like, yeah. And we were on tour in like Sweden somewhere and we're on a train and he's like, yeah, Mike, I know you're doing SEO. I, I've got this cousin with the software company. I'm like, who's your cousin? And then he's like, yeah, Rand Fishkin. I'm like, <laughs> and um you know i again i started getting involved in like blogging on Moz, and i reached out to ran and he was nothing but cool to me yeah, and then cool. when we met in person it was just like we we clicked you know and and he was very helpful in like helping me get uh conference speaking and and he's helped me get clients like he's just i can't say enough good things about ran fishkin he's just you know, a, a really good friend. And I definitely appreciate everything he's done for me and also everything he's done for our industry. No, I love it, man. That's so funny too, because it wasn't that long ago, maybe six years ago when you mentioned SEO software company is like, there's only one. So like, it's gotta be, uh, it's gotta be them. All right. Um, thank you for sharing all that with me. I, I always know that that when people reach out to me after the show, like getting to know the guest is, is one of the things that I really, really try to do. And I'm always appreciative when people are like open and vulnerable with their stories and their successes and their failures. And so yeah, thank you. absolutely. Um, all right. So let's talk about Google. I'm half a Google fanboy and half mm -hmm. like terrified of <laughs> what goes on with search. Um, I think one of the, the topics that I am most inclined to talk about is just Google's recent decision to hog a lot of the search traffic with their own online assets. Like I've gotten a lot of success from it because a lot of our clients are local clients. And so with GMB stuff being at the, the top of the SERPs at most searches, um, it's, it's proved really well and it's proved really successful, but there's another side of me that just feels like, man, this is still banking on somebody else to, you know, like allow you to earn the branded or the search or the local traffic that, that theoretically should be yours anyway. Mm -hmm. like, what are your thoughts on that? How do you feel about the idea that the first page of the surfs is like constantly in flux? 
I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> um, you know, on some level, I'm like, hey, it's their website. You know, you got to yep. roll with it. Yep. And then, you know, you should also be diversifying your traffic sources and all mm-hmm. that. But <clears throat> end of the day, you know, what we do the most is SEO. So, like, how do we how do we account for all this stuff? And I think part of it is there is a lot of opportunity in, in places where Google is, is not as active in doing these types of things. And if your brand is big enough, you can create search terms. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that it's one of those things where you got to think about where is the actual opportunity for my business? If it is in just local, then you're good. Like you said, because Google's getting more, or excuse me, local's getting more visibility. But if you're a brand that has the power to create a term by, you know, running a, a TV commercial and you're worried about these unbranded terms or whatever, then do that. That's a way that you can capitalize more on search. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, just like brass tacks, I think that there are definitely instances where it's like, Google, you're not really playing fair. Mm. But at the same time, when have SEOs really played fair? Of course. You know, like, you know, like, so I'm, I feel both ways about it. Like, I feel like that's messed up that Google, you're doing that. But I'm like, all right, it's also, you know, an opportunity for those of us that can be even more creative. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, we, it's always a delicate thing to have these conversations because a lot of people, if we get into like some of the technical logo, you know, where like you and I could rap back and forth about it. I don't mm-hmm. want people to think like, what are they talking about? You know, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do see what you mean where every time there's a change, there's another side of my head that thinks like, okay, well, where's the new opening? Right. And there's always, always been every single time, especially with search, not so much for social media because, you know, social media pulls the rug out from underneath their brands over and over again. But with search, Mm -hmm. like there's always been an opening. And uh, I I like what you said there about almost inventing your own search terms. It reminds me of a, a Seth Godin blog I read a while ago where he said, I don't need to rank for keywords because I invented the keyword purple cow because of how successful his book was. And so it's like, there's nothing for him to rank for because people already have an idea in their mind and Google is just kind of the vessel that connects the the user with the idea, you know? Exactly. I'll I'll give you, you know, a real example. So we were working with a, a, you know, large financial services company and they were rolling out a new product there and they were like, we want to optimize this page or these pages for queries related to charge card. And I was like, yeah, but people are searching for credit card. Credit card is a much bigger, um, you know, uh, monthly search volume. And they were like, no, 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 no. we're going with charge card and we're going to run media and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, well, if you don't really want traffic, go with this. But they were a hundred percent right. You know, they, they ran a couple uh, commercials where they, prominently displayed the word charge card, said it over and over, and um, search volume spiked after that. And it also ultimately stayed much higher than where it was before. So that's my point. Like big enough brands that can run media in that way can change search behavior and then capitalize on it. And um, there was a campaign that my girl worked on when she was at um, uh, one of the bigger agencies. And it was with Axe body spray. And they, they did this thing where they had this, um, this commercial with Keith or Sutherland, Keith or Sutherland 
uh, where he's talking about, you know, his, his, his like perfect woman that got away and he called her Susan Glenn. And so what, what my girl's team did is they seeded the web with a whole bunch of stuff about Susan Glenn, kind of like a reverse reputation management campaign. Yeah. And then once the search volume was there, they could capitalize by owning the entire SERP yeah. for this keyword that didn't exist before. I love it. So clever. And, and those are the kind of things I'm talking about where there's always an opportunity somewhere. You just have to think creatively. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Okay. And then one of the other things I love talking about SEOs is their strategy to build links for people listening that don't necessarily understand what that means. All you got to know is one of the, probably the most important thing and probably always will be the most important thing to get your webpage at the top of Google is to get links on other web pages that point to your site. And mm -hmm. it's always kind of been, I don't want to say controversial with SEOs, but there's just nobody really knows the best way to do it. Let's just say that <laughs> you know, like we're all trying to figure it out. And, uh, I read on, on your website on I pull rank that you guys are very, um, you have a, an internal strategy that you really, really stick by. Mm -hmm. And please just elaborate on, on how you guys go about doing outreach and, and also just say why you think that's the best way and why it's been successful for you. Yeah, absolutely. So on our, our site, we've got like a what we do section and we also got a what we don't do section. I loved that, by the way. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, thanks. And, um, you know, one of the things that we say is we don't do large scale link building. So if you're trying to go to somebody that's going to get you a thousand links a month, that's not going to be us. Um, and all the, all the link building that we do is going to be driven by content. And I think that there's two tiers of link building. There's like the digital PR where you're reaching out to yep. media outlets and, and um, uh, journalists and things, and you're working with them to get them to cover you in a story. And then there's the link building where it's like blogger outreach or resource pages or broken link building, things like that. <clears throat> and that's the lower tier where you're dealing with like bloggers, webmasters, and so on. And so the approach is generally the same in that we identify or create an asset. And when we're in the early stages of that, we reach out to a series of people that um, have, you know, affinities for the subject matter that we're talking about. And that's where, like you said, SparkToro can be used pretty heavily uh, in the outreach process and identifying those people. And, um, you know, we, we reach out to them and say, hey, we're about to launch this thing or we've got this asset that we're, you know, touching up. Is this something that you'd be interested in? Is there any feedback that you have so that we, we get their buy-in? And so we, we generally will set like a certain um, minimum number of people that we get yeses from before we move forward with that piece of content. And then, you know, ultimately if we find <clears throat> that's not getting traction, then we may not move forward with launching that asset. We may switch to something else. And in some cases we do get good feedback from people and then we'll augment the piece of content in that way. And um, then once we launch it, we will then, you know, let them know like, Hey, this thing launched, can you link to it? And, you know, at that point we, we kind of look at it like a funnel or um, it's a numbers game. Exactly. And then we're like, okay, you know, measure how well the messaging worked versus the piece of content and then use that to continue to build links. And, you know, there's definitely situations where we can go through that and yield 
like hundreds of links because the content asset was so compelling but we don't commit to saying we're going to get you hundreds of links a month mm. we're more like all right <clears throat> you know we'll probably aim for like 30 or 50 or something like that and um continue to refine the approach so we get as much as we can out of it so yeah that's that's our primary approach but we've also excuse me been watching what um what Ross's team has been doing lately, Siege Media, where they've been doing all these things where they're creating assets that are going to passively get more links. Um, and, you know, they do a lot of like state of content and so on. So we've been starting to add that to the repertoire as well, because effectively it's like a better version of what we were doing and that it's scalable to have a series of different topics that work really well for different audiences and things like that. Whereas we would go through the process each time to be like, okay, who's the audience? Um, what, what's resonating in the space? Uh, what, what is the bespoke thing that we need to create every time and then go through that whole process. So I really like the things that Ross's team has been doing uh, to really scale that approach. I like everything that, that you talked about. Um, I mean, there's a lot of places to go with this. We, like most, well, my, my agency has been around for 10 years. And mm-hmm. the first two years, it was pretty typical figuring out what we're doing, outsourced a lot of stuff, came back with like spreadsheets of like a couple thousand links and quickly realized, I don't think this is working. And uh, mm-hmm. we just didn't know what we didn't know at the time. But if there's one thing that I'm proud of in terms of the work that we've done is we committed to doing outreach one relationship at a time to where it's more than just a link you know it's a network of people that you can reach out to that i don't even know how to explain it really like you build a conglomerate of people that have shared um shared content, shared messages, shared ideas that all kind of realistically are, are going for the same audience of a couple hundred thousand or a couple million people, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and those like relationships turn into opportunities, whether it might be a backlink, whether it might be like a mention, whether it might be like, hey, shout this out in your newsletter. Um, it's, it's been a grind. And I think ultimately it's what separates good agencies from badass agencies is like how willing are you to do that that online networking basically because that's what it is like i sometimes i feel like you can replace the word backlinks with just like networking yeah because it's the relationship that you make yeah i agree with that definitely and the the interesting thing is that the skill set is the same as doing outbound sales yeah it's so it's so funny that you know, the SEO industry kind of like frowns on outbound sales, but we do link building the way that we do. <laughs> I can't believe you're talking about this. We, we've had the same conversation inside. Like I said, my agency is in South Florida. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think I saw somewhere that you guys were in South Beach. So I'm sure you're aware that, that South Florida has like a ton of phone rooms, you know, and there's mm-hmm. just like a real outbound sales culture. And every time yep. I find one of these guys, and they think like, I don't know anything about SEO. I was like, do you mind getting told no? Like getting hung up on. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding me? I've been getting hung up on for four years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like perfect. You're, you're mm-hmm. perfect for the job. Granted, it has a little bit of more like nuance and a little bit more um, like it's not quite as aggressive as just like smile and dial because mm-hmm. there's, there's 
common goals to be involved. But, uh, but yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with everything you're saying. That's so funny that you brought that up. <laughs> um, yeah, great. So, so what, what is your thoughts over the next five years? Do you think that content is always going to be the center of inbound search? Do you think that the algorithms are going to like continuously um, get more and more sophisticated as to where they just know what the user intent is going to be and it's going to be more and more difficult to, you know, quote, trick algorithms? How do you, how do you think this is all going to play out over the next couple of years? Yeah, I think things are going to get more specific. You know, I think yeah. that um, the ultimate goal of Google is to be more predictive rather than reactive to your query. And you see that with, you know, things like Google Discover, um, the, the assistant stuff, like all of that is trying to like figure out your needs before you tell it. Um, and so I think what ultimately is going to happen is that Google is going to try to make the results more specific to you. Like we've already got personalization, but I think it's going to be even, you know, more specific, more per personalized. Like it's going to be an algorithm of one rather than like a broad algorithm. Wow. And so there's going to be, you know, some elements of that that are, are complicated because of the fact that it's going to create filter bubbles. You're going to see what you expect and so on. And there's always going to be their need to like split the difference there, mm -hmm. but it's going to be far more difficult to apply broad tactics to get to a specific person. Right. Like yeah. I think, you know, on our end, it's going to be more about market segmentation and like creating content very specifically for specific groups which I think more and more people on the SEO side think of it as like for the keyword rather than for the specific audience. And, you know, I mean, I'm biased because that's been our approach for a long time, like, you know, doing the market research and building personas, aligning it with keywords and aligning all that with the content. Um, but I think ultimately that's where they're trying to go. They want to be able to get you precisely what you're looking for. And then some of these, modes of search like some of these tools you're not going to get 10 things to choose from like google assistant isn't going to read you 10 answers it's going to give you one and so i think that's ultimately where they're trying to go is like how do we give you one answer wow. for you and as seos we have to provide that for very specific audiences my first reaction is like that's terrifying but then when you take a second to think back it's not because all it does is it, it, like you said, it just makes the, the long tail of not just the keyword, but the actual audiences, like the tribes, the groups of people mm -hmm. that are into a specific thing. Mm -hmm. It just makes content more applicable to answer specific questions for specific people. So there's still an opportunity there. You know, that's why I keep coming back to this because no matter how much it changes, there's always a way to find the people that there's always a way to, create something to solve the problems for the people that you're trying to get in touch with. And I think that's kind of what Google is. It's just a problem solving machine. Yeah. And, and when you think about, you know, digital advertising, if you think about like Facebook, for instance, that's what you're doing when you're buying Facebook ads, you're like, I want to get to a very specific audience and you create the content you think that's going to work for them, but you pay to put it in front of them. What, what Google is ultimately trying to do from my perspective is kind of mimic that and using the, the, the person themselves 
as the targeting vector and then your content just has to very precisely match them otherwise it doesn't get visibility for people it's not for yeah wow great prediction um i'm gonna keep my eye on that and uh, i i think we all can reasonably assume that that's where things are going Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Mike, shit, man. Thank you so much for the talk. Um, I, I just love talking to nerds about this. And, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> so I always say like half, half the fun of having a podcast isn't just to build my own brand. It was just to sit down and have conversations with people that like I usually wouldn't. I think that um, if I'm ever in New York or whatever, you and I could get together and, and probably have a lot of commonalities. So yeah. well, thank you so much for your time. Um, of course ipoolrank.com. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes. Um, do you have like a personal site? I saw that you had an underground hip hop site that you're working on. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, it's just those two. I pull rank is where you're going to get most of the information about nice. the things we talked about. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty loud on Twitter too. So I pull rank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll make sure that you're linked up in the show notes, Mike. Thank you so much for your time. It was really Thanks great. Thanks for having me, Tim. All right, brother. Same. All right. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.